Phase one calls for miniaturizing a submarine with crew and surgical team and injecting it into the carotid artery. How small will it be? About the size of a microbe. Once in the carotid artery, we remain within the arterial system until we reach the point of the damage, where Dr. Duval will attempt to dissolve the clot with a laser beam. A submarine, along with a team of doctors, is miniaturized and injected into a dying man's body in the hopes of saving his life. Join us as we discuss a discount screensaver, the actors who didn't want to grope Raquel Welsh, and if kids today know Morse code, then we find out if Fantastic Voyage stands the test of time. Time. James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with a glut Alan says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello and a happy 2022 to all of our listeners. I'm James Brief with the Test of Time podcast. And joining me for the first podcast of the year is my buddy, my podcast host, Alan Noah. Hello, James. How you doing? Happy New Year. This is the future, man. 2022? Yeah. I mean, remember how like everyone was excited for 2020? Because that like sounded cool and there were all those jokes about like Vision 2020 and maybe not jokes, but like, you know quote-unquote clever wordplay and then that year was the worst and last year was kind of the worst and now we just want each year to just kind of not be the worst do you realize in a month how many twos there's gonna be on february 2nd what about february 22nd whoa yeah what about the 22nd day of the 22nd month of 2022 at 10.22 p.m. if you're, you know, in Europe or something. You could be in America and just use military time. Yeah, we have to call it military time here. <laughs> A lot of places, they just call it time. Right, right. But do you have any uh, New Year's resolutions? Um, I have a very unique one. Um, I think I should go to the gym more and exercise more. <gasps> yeah, yeah, yeah. I do think I want to go to the gym more. I, I, it's a radical idea, and I'm sure it will completely be fulfilled. Nice. I like that attitude. Yeah, I've never heard anyone say that as a New Year's resolution before. That is a very original thought. Yeah, what about you, Al? Do you have any resolutions? I do. I have one that's also fitness-related. I want to try to complete a triathlon in 2022. I'm not terribly worried about the running or the biking part. The swimming part scares the crap out of me because, you know, I can swim, but I've never like done it competitively or like done that much of a distance. So I'm going to need to train. I don't know that I will be able to do it. I think maybe I can, but I think that's Kind of like the idea of a resolution, right? Is to like go a little bit outside your comfort zone, try to do something that's a little bit tough. And uh, I don't have like a specific time in mind or anything. I just want to do it. I just want to complete it. That's my resolution. I believe in you, Al. <gasps> that's all I needed to hear. I believe in you, James. Oh, thanks. I believe that you can get to the, what did you call it? Gym? A gym. Yeah. Oh, okay. 
Is that like a, a friend of yours, a guy yeah. named James? You call him Jim? Like a jungle gym. Oh, jungle gyms are the best. Yep. Slides and swings. That sounds great. Now, today we're going to be talking about Fantastic Voyage. This is a movie that you requested. Why do you want to talk about this movie? Well, it, it is a classic. Uh, and I had happened across this film last summer when I was uh, at sleepaway camp. I, I work every summer at a, at a sleepaway camp for a while. There's not much internet access up there. It's a little sporadic. So I will watch television. And because I don't like, I don't have cable. They don't have DVR. They don't have any of the like HBO channels. So I kind of just scroll the old channels and watch old like Star Trek Next Generation with, with commercials breaks and everything sounds terrible yeah but i also the commercials and the star trek i meant well i will say you know what channel if you do have regular cable consistently and this i always find this year to year when i go to camp and i watch there's one channel that consistently has like really good movies Um, on on basic cable tbs no fx oh okay fx has pretty good uh movies but i happened to come across i think it was like turner classic or some some old film and i it was some kind of like giant octopus uh submarine film from the 60s and and then afterwards it said next fantastic voyage and i was like i remember that film i saw it as a kid and i remember being fascinated by it as a child and I got to catch parts of it over the summer, and I, I liked some of the scenes I saw, so I want to watch it again, and I want to see how it would hold up. And I know you had never seen it, so I was just curious how uh, what you think of it. All right. Well, yeah, I mean, I was, I was down to watch it because it's one of those movies that's, like, constantly referenced and talked about, and people know of it, so I felt like I should see it. And in case any of our listeners haven't seen it, It's a movie where scientists working for both the U.S. and the USSR, it was made in the 60s, remember, they've both developed technology that allows matter to be shrunk down to microscopic size. But that only lasts for an hour. But then one man, Dr. Bennis, discovers a secret to making the miniaturization process last longer. But an assassination attempt leaves him in a coma. So to save Bennis' life, a team is miniaturized and sent into his body. Along the way, the crew must venture through Bennis' heart, lungs, and lymph nodes, evading the body's natural defenses and a potential saboteur. So when this movie came out in 1966, was it a big hit? Was it a big box office smash? Well, when it came out in the 60s, this had a big budget for the time. It had a $5 million budget. Whoa, five whole million? And with this $5 million budget, I've seen conflicting uh, reports anywhere from 9 to $12 million domestically. This is the kind of thing that uh, I mentioned to my dad uh, early this week. I said, oh, I watched uh, Fantastic Voyage this week. And he goes, ah, that movie, ah, I've seen that a dozen times. And I happened to see my uncle, and, uh, and he mentioned like uh, you know, some scene in it, like, oh, the scene in the eyeball or something. And I realized that every person I, I spoke to of, uh, certainly like the boomer generation, they had all seen this film. It was one of those things that just everybody knows it's not necessarily everyone loved it or was everyone's favorite film and i i would imagine that just based on on that nine to twelve million dollar take that this film probably has made a lot of money in the subsequent 50 years since it's been released after you talked to these boomers did you say okay boomer after everything they said 
<laughs> no, I did not. Well, that's good. That shows that you have respect for your elders. But, you know, uh, I did not remember, I would say, the first 25 minutes of this film, because it does take a little while to get into the, the Fantastic Voyage. But the, uh, the film actually opens on a really interesting placard, like just a title card. And the title card says, we live in a world where humans are soon going to be walking on the moon. What we're going to show you in this film may not happen next year, but it's probably around the corner. Because I guess just there was, there was so much excitement about what science can do. See, it's funny. I read about that while I was doing my research today. I did not see that in the beginning of the movie that I watched. The version that I watched, it said, The makers of this film are indebted to the many doctors, technicians, and research scientists whose knowledge and insight helped guide the production. That was at the end of the film for me. Interesting. Yeah. That is very strange. I watched mine uh, from a DVD in the library. I think it was an old DVD. I don't know why they swapped placards around in different versions of the movie, but whatever. I got mine from a guy named Jeff. Oh, a DVD? No, uh, Bezos. I streamed it from Amazon. Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah. Uh, But the movie begins with something that does not stand the test of time, a shot of TWA. There's a guy getting off of a plane, a TWA plane. Well, it sort of stands the test of time. The TWA terminal has reopened at JFK. But there are no TWA planes there. No, but uh, have you seen it? It's like a retro 60s hotel, like at JFK. It, like Everything is TWA, like fashion, and uh, there's a lot of TWA stuff there. But no TWA planes. Correct. Right. So this guy gets off of the plane. He's clearly an important guy. He shakes a man's hand and seems to thank him. We don't hear anything. But then this guy is ushered into a car. He is very important. He is being escorted somewhere by these government agents. But then there's an attack and they are like run off the road and this guy is hurt and they bring him to this special medical facility. And I'm saying this all quickly, but this all takes like quite a while to unfold. Then we get to the opening credits where we see this man, this VIP who they got off the plane. He's now like in a hospital and all these doctors are working around him. And all you hear is like these computer sounds that really sound like 1960s computer sounds. It's a lot of bleep, bloop, bleep, bloop, bleep. Right. I mean, it's the technology sound of the time it would be the same thing of like if this was 1997 you'd be hearing that modem connecting sound i agree that those were just kind of a lot of uh new technology uh things that they had ekg beeps and uh these things were all brand new to us they're ubiquitous but uh after the credits you realize what this uh secret location is because it's very high tech there's all these ids you have to show And this is clearly showed to be a government facility. And I find it very interesting because that's a very test of time thing today. Because if you were to show something that is so state-of-the-art that it's time travel or miniaturization, this has to be the government. Only the government could do something like this. Either the Americans or the Russians are doing this. But today, you know, like they would probably write this film as like, you know, sort of like an Elon Musk character who has his own, you know, miniaturization, like like a Tony Stark kind of thing. That's not really going to be the government. But I, I thought that was interesting that this had to be a government-centered story. Right. Yeah. Nowadays, people 
don't like the government, don't trust the government, don't have faith that the government is doing advanced things like that. That That's a good point. I just think it's almost the, the last thing you said. I don't think people think necessarily that the highest technology is necessarily in the government anymore. It might be private sector. Right, 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 right. But this place that they're in is the CMDF. And you see the CMDF logo around the facility for a while before anyone bothers to explain what it is. And it's the Combined Miniature Deterrent Forces, which is kind of laughable. Like, that's a pretty stupid name. Also, the way that they get the main character, Grant, into this facility is they put him in, like, a car elevator thing. Like, they drive him somewhere, and these other agents get out of the car, and he goes to get out of the car, and they say, no, no, you wait here. And then we see this shot of, like, the car going down, like, being lowered into the ground, which looks pretty bad. It's a pretty bad effect. I guess it was the best they could do in 1966. But then Grant is escorted around this facility in a golf cart. There's lots of golf carts. There's lots of long shots of Grant being driven around in golf carts. You know, there's like different levels of this facility. And we see Grant in this golf cart go from level one to level two, then go around and take the turn and then head up to level three. He keeps going. They go up to level four to the security checkpoint. It's like, okay, I get it. Golf carts. Neat. Uh, He shows an ID badge, which I guess was probably high tech in 1966. Well, what was high tech about it was that he shows the ID tag and then his picture comes up on a monitor. That was what was high tech. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah, but Grant gets the information pretty quickly that this man, Dr. Bennis, who you know, you escorted him from the plane in the opening scene. Well, he's in a coma. He needs to be saved and we're going to miniaturize you. You're going to go inside of him. And Grant's like, but I don't want to be miniaturized. I thought that was just such like a whiny little line from this guy who is very good looking, who's clearly, you know, the leading man of this movie to be like, but I don't want to. No fair. Yeah, it's funny that this uh, this guy, when you see him in the opening scene, I was watching this movie with my girlfriend and she's like, that's a 60s leading man. Like he just looks straight out of your, you know, good looking guy catalog. Yeah, his name is Stephen Boyd. He's definitely a good-looking fellow. But then they have, like, this briefing meeting in a room where they use overhead projectors and those, like, transparency things that, like, I had those in my school, like, when I was a kid. I'm guessing you did, too? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And all of the scientists are smoking while they're looking at this stuff. And, you know, presumably most of these guys are doctors. I also love there's this one general that throughout the film, he drinks his coffee with like 17 spoonfuls of sugar. They smoke indoors. They have nonstop sugar and caffeine. It's, it's, it's great. Right. And then one of those doctors does not want this woman to join the mission because uh, one of the surgeons has an assistant named Cora, played by Raquel Welch. But then the doctor is like, no, no, no. She's my assistant. She's coming with me. And that's that. And then they explain their plan to save Dr. Bennis's life. They're going to dissolve the clot in his brain with a laser beam. Mm-hmm. Laser beam. That's correct. It just kind of made me think of Austin Powers of like this high tech technology, a laser. And they're all like, ooh, a laser. 
Yeah, and they're going to shrink a ship, so they have this huge, uh, pretty much looks like the Futurama spaceship uh, from the cartoon show. Yes, yes it does. They say that they're going to shrink it down to microscopic level, and when they go to shrink it down, at first it it looks like a toy. Like, it's a small ship, and you see, like, their perspective inside the ship, and they're looking out at the scientists, and, you know, from their point of view, the scientists' heads are giant. But I was like, that's not microscopic. That's small. But what I didn't realize is that there's many different phases to them shrinking. There's actually four phases. There's phase one, where it gets small. Then there's phase two, where it gets smaller. Then there's phase three, when I don't even remember what happens in phase three well, and phase four. Well, I'll tell you, in phase three, they put it into an enormous hypodermic needle, and they shrink the entire hypodermic needle in phase four, which I thought, why don't they just keep shrinking the ship and then just put in a regular hypodermic needle? Yeah, I really felt like all of this was really painfully slow, and I didn't get it. Like, were they showing off the technology that they had at the time? I'm going to tell you what I think happened in this because I don't remember any of this part uh, of the film. And I would actually recommend, if you want to watch this film, you can start watching at the 25-minute mark. You will not miss anything. It doesn't really matter why they're going into this body. The point is, we're going in to a body, and here we go. The film's about an hour and a half, and it takes uh, almost a half hour to get in. The real meat of the film is obviously during the voyage in the body. I just don't think they have the budget to do 75 minutes in the body. I think they could have very quickly gotten to it. And they didn't want to fill it with just dialogue in the ship. I think uh, that's what they chose. Because once they go into the body, then the film really picks up. Um, Debatable. Oh, no. You have such a bad poker face with these films, Al. It's a good thing it's an audio podcast, although I'm not really hiding my contempt for it. Um, I will say, if you started the movie at 25 minutes in, you will miss a couple of important pieces of exposition that we did kind of go by quickly. The most important of which is that Grant is there because the scientists in charge don't trust Dr. Duvall. And Dr. Duvall is the guy who's going to use the laser beam on the blood clot. He is the surgeon, but they think he might be a spy for, I don't think they ever say Russia or the USSR. I think they just say the other side, the bad guys or whatever. But it's implied that they think he's a spy. And Grant is there to spy on the person they think might be a spy. Also, it's interesting to note, though, that they are worried that Duvall is a spy, but not at all about Cora, his beautiful assistant. No one's worried about her, even though the two of them have been working together for many, many years, and they're very close, and they're colleagues, and they trust each other. They're only worried about Duvall. No one's worried about Cora. I thought that was a little strange, but whatever. That's why Grant is there, this guy who doesn't have any medical background, who doesn't really have any training in this sort of thing. He's just there to keep an eye on Duvall. And his like cover story, why he's there for the mission, is he's doing comms, and he uses Morse code. But does Morse code stand the test of time not even as like a thing that exists, but like as a thing that young people know about? I meant to ask Eli if he knows what Morse code even is, because I don't know how to speak it or type it, but I know of it. I don't even know if kids today know of it, you know? I only know SOS. Dash, 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 dot, 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 dash, dash, dash. 
Sure. It sounds familiar from the commercial from, uh, was it a detergent? It was SOS. It was yeah. the, uh, what do you call it, iron wool or? Steel wool. Steel wool. But I'm not even saying the kids today know how to speak in Morse code. I'm just wondering if they've ever heard the phrase Morse code. It's possible they have not. They've only seen it in movies. Like, I have I know what a slide rule is only because there's references to it. But I would not know how to use one, or I might not even know I'm holding a slide rule if someone gave me one. There's a slide rule in this movie, right? They do some calculations on a slide rule? Yes, there's what I imagine is a side roll. They're doing calculations on something. So I just guess that it's a side roll. I can't argue with you because I don't think I even know what one looks like. So sure, sure. There's slide rules. There's slide rules galore. Everyone has slide rules. Yeah, they have slide rules and these slide rules help them calculate the formula to shrink these people. And they are now shrunken after four phases (laughs) and they are now injected into the body. And they go right into the bloodstream. I happen to think this is a beautiful scene. I think it's uh, it's kind of educational in that one of the scientists is like, hey, why isn't this red? I thought we were supposed to be in a clear red sea. One of the scientists explains, uh, oh, no, you're just thinking of the red blood cells, which give it all its red hue. But at the microscopic level, it would mostly be clear. And I I don't know what blood looks like at the microscopic level, but what I can tell you is that when you give blood, what sometimes we need is sometimes we need platelets, sometimes we need whole blood, sometimes we just need the plasma. And most of the blood, when they centrifuge that stuff out and just take it out, it's this kind of orange, like apple juice looking uh, fluid. It's it's not red. So uh, it might not be clear, but uh, I thought that was interesting. I think you're being kind. It looks like a 1995 computer screensaver. True. Yeah, it looks kind of like like bubbles, sort sort of like yeah. red bubbles and blue bubbles floating around. Amorphous blobs that mm-hmm. that are going by. I kind of felt like it was laughable. But it gets worse because then there's like a whirlpool that sucks them in off course and I don't know if I can do it justice in describing it, but like all the characters on the ship are doing the whoa, 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 Like they well, lean what? to the left and then they lean to the right. And they're they're like, doing the old Star Trek show kind of thing. I mean, that's that's basically what they're doing. Yeah. yeah, I thought this was funny and it was not intentionally funny. I had to laugh at like this, oh no, thing. Like, okay, there they go. They're off course. Now they're not where they're supposed to go. Now they are completely in the wrong part of the body and they have to go through the heart which was by the way the one thing that they said in like their earlier meeting when they were all smoking looking at the transparencies whatever you do don't go in the heart and yeah and they wind up going through the heart they have to stop the patient's heart so they they put the patient into cardiac arrest and then the idea is that they will like re uh, like shock him which i've i've said (laughs) times before that's not really how things work but for the sake of science fiction it seems to be what they did and i don't remember all of my uh, gross anatomy course but i remembered all those cordae tendinae and all all these like strings in the heart and i was like oh this is cool this is kind of what it looks like in, in the heart maybe i mean i don't know how accurate it is but i'm like it was a very interesting 
science fiction, probably not, you know, accurate, accurate, but loosely accurate depiction of what it would look like to go through the heart. I thought it was a fascinating scene. I know you didn't, Al. But well, I, you I tell me what I thought. Did you think it was fascinating, Al? No, I, I also did not. Well, I didn't really understand when they were like, we have to go really fast through the heart. We only have 60 seconds from when it stops to when it starts again. And we have to go at full speed. And even then, even going at full speed, it's going to be close. But the ship doesn't move fast. Like it very slowly goes from one side of the screen to the other. It's floating in water. How do you think submarines can go? That's why like Aquaman is like, that's one of his things. He can like fly incredibly fast through water. Yeah, it just looked slow. They're talking about how dangerous it is and how fast they need to move, but you just see them moving very slowly. Also, then when they do restart the heart and then you're thinking, okay, well now like the flow of the blood is going to really push the ship and then they're going to have to wibble wobble 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 wobble. (laughs) that doesn't even happen like they just get through the heart and it's fine they restart the heart it's fine i think the what you're calling the slow shots are what i would call those are the wide shots it looks like a submarine going through a cave system it's the heart so i think they have a wide shot which shows just how small this is. I I do agree with you, it is slow, and it creates some tension too, because it is more anxious when they're like, 45 seconds, 44, 43, and it's moving slow. It's like, come on. And they're able to get through it just in time. I mean, I certainly was thinking, come on, a lot watching this movie. But, (sighs) But we should note along those lines that a good chunk of this movie takes place in real time. Like, they say that they only have an hour for this mission, and it's about an hour. Yeah. Even, like, along the way, and it's like, oh, we've been in here for 20 minutes, and I was looking at, you know, my little DVD counter. It's like, oh, yeah, it has been 20 minutes. So I don't know if other movies had done that before, you know, like, doing a movie in real time. I remember there was a movie, I think Johnny Snake Eyes. No, you're thinking of Nicolas Cage, Snake Eyes. No, I'm thinking of Nick of Time. Damn it. I'm pretty sure Johnny Depp was in it, and, like, the hook the gimmick of that movie was like this guy only has an hour and a half to do something it was uh, a real-time thing and i think that was the 90s so i guess this movie was uh ahead of its time for doing that back in 66 good on them um there is an interesting uh little thing that keeps coming up in this film and that is between dr duval and dr michaels they have this sort of uh science versus spirituality debate Dr. Duvall is looking at the beautiful parts of the body and the blood and eventually in the mind. And he's just saying, like, there must be intelligent design. And and then the other doctors say, no, this must just be evolution. And they don't really go anywhere with it. It was an interesting debate that they bring up. You know, I made a note of that, too. It is really interesting when they start debating if this incredibly complex system was created by God or was it just science. And... It happens twice. It happens here and it happens again later when they're in the brain and Dr. Duvall is talking about the soul and Dr. Michaels is saying, no, it's just synapses firing. There's no such thing as a soul. But both of those conversations are very, very short. Like they start talking about it and then something happens to the ship and wibble wobble, wibble wobble. And then they they don't finish the conversation. So I think it's an interesting idea that they bring up. But they bring it up twice and they don't explore it, which I think is a bummer. 
in this conversation, the context is around the oxygenation of the blood, where Dr. Duvall is just saying this is a miracle. This is the most important thing that happens on a cellular level. And look at it. It's beautiful. But then all we see is just these blobs that are blue and then they're red. And he's describing it as a beautiful thing. And what I remember from biology classes, this is a very important process in the oxygen and the hemoglobin and all that stuff. But it's just seeing like these things flip from blue to red. And visually, I thought it was pretty anticlimactic. Oh, you weren't you weren't impressed, Al? I really was oh, not. I'm sorry. I understood where they were going and I was able to be impressed. I was. I was like, okay, I get it. It's turning blue to red. Whatever. By the way, though, when you first mentioned Dr. Michaels, did you recognize him? We just saw him in a movie not that long ago. Uh, I'm going to guess Thunderball. No, I think he was in one Bond movie. Uh, His name is Donald Pleasance. Oh, uh, Halloween. Yes, he is in Halloween and it's many like first batch of sequels. He's Dr. Loomis. And we saw him in Escape from New York when he played the president. Ah, the president. Yes. Yes. But after they go through the heart, then these guys end up in the lungs. Also, while they're in the lungs, they realize that the ship is losing a lot of air. But when they're in the lungs, they can get more air. So their plan is to like stick a straw into the alveoli and get oxygen that way, right? Yeah, sort of. That seems to be what it is. And they have to send Grant like into the alveoli. Alveoli or alveoli? I think it would probably be an alveolus. Oh, okay. Ooh, all right. Good thing you're a doctor. I think a single one would be an alveolus. I think you're right. I think you're right about that. But so before Grant goes inside, he tethers himself to the ship. But then the tether comes loose and he's like sucked into the lung. And it's this dramatic thing of like, he's gone. Like he he's not coming back from that. Right. And it's what I was thinking more was I was like, oh, this is typical disaster film formula. Bye-bye, a cannon fodder number one. Like, you now demonstrated the situation is deadly. But he's not just random character. He's the star of the movie. And he can't leave because after an hour, all of these people are going to grow back to normal size. And if he's in the body, even if he's dead, he's going to grow back to normal size and kill Dr. Bennis. And there goes the plot to save Dr. Bennis's life. But then he just is like thrown back into the alveolus because I guess, you know, he was sucked out when he breathed in and then he comes back in when he exhales or something. It's very anticlimactic of like, he's gone forever. Oh, wait, no, there he is. No, it just seemed like he was punted five football lengths away and he kept going up, up, up. And then next thing you know, he's no, he's like. 10 feet away. That was one of those things that was just a mistake. That has to be a mistake. Like, I mean, a mistake of like not showing him longer, trying to travel back. Like, it just seemed like they blew him like five feet away from where he was. But isn't Cora and like the other characters, aren't they like, oh no! Right, right, they are. And then he just seems to be right there. It was definitely weird. Yeah. So now Grant is kind of pissed because he thinks that someone like cut him loose on purpose. Someone sabotaged the line. Also, the laser that Dr. Duvall is going to use is broken. Cora had anchored it down in the ship tightly. She knows what she's doing. She's a hardworking, methodical assistant to this surgeon, and she bolted it down properly, but it came loose and smashed. So now Grant is very confident that there is a saboteur on this ship, 
And remember, he was told that it's probably Dr. Duvall. I don't know why. They don't trust him. It's weird. They don't trust Dr. Duvall, and yet they sent him on this mission anyway. It doesn't really make sense. But now Grant is highly suspicious of Dr. Duvall, and he even confides in Dr. Michaels and is like, yeah, we need to keep an eye on Duvall because something's wrong. Someone's messing with this mission. Right, right. And uh, they wind up going through the lymphatic system. Do you know what the lymphatic system is? Sure. Yeah, it's the lymph nodes. It carries like waste away. Right. And it's it's all this junk. And the ship is kind of not damaged, but it picks up all kinds of crap on it. And it clogs the vents. So they're not able to move. The engines overheat. So they basically park the ship and they put on the scuba gear and they go out. Was this supposed to be like a, a sexy scene when Cora strips down to like her scuba gear? They do it once before, too, when they leave the ship because she's Raquel Welch and she's beautiful For some reason in my head, I had imagined that she was in like a really skimpy outfit in this movie. And she's not. It's like, you know, kind of bathing suit-esque, but it's not like terribly skimpy or sexy. No, that's because you're thinking of The Simpsons uh, Halloween episode where Marge Simpson is basically in Fantastic Voyage and says, oh, all these antibodies seem to have torn off my entire bathing suit, uh, basically, except for my like bikini area. Maybe, maybe that's I what. think that's what you're thinking of. Because I was wondering, too, if that was straight out of this. But you're right. It's it's actually quite modest. And uh, the thing is, they're in the inner ear right now. Any sound at all will produce, like, tsunami-like shockwaves inside the, the ear fluid that they're floating in right now. So everyone's uh, very silent, except this nurse. She sees this doctor has a little sweat on his forehead. Oh, boo-hoo, the guy has a little sweat on his forehead. But this idiot picks up a, a towel. I think she's sleeping with this doctor. I was telling Whoa. my girlfriend, I'm like, there's a whole backstory here because she winds up uh, dabbing his forehead, but as she does it, she accidentally knocks a pair of scissors onto the floor, causing a shockwave, and not just a shockwave, but an enormous antibody response. Why does that mean that she's sleeping with the doctor? So there's going to be this tumultuous scene. The crew might have all been killed. And then afterwards, she goes to the doctor and she goes, Oh, I was just so nervous. And then she dabs his head again. I think she dabs his head again. But anyway, I'm convinced that she's sleeping with him. I think you're reading a little too much into that. It might actually be him that's the asshole if there's a, you know, a big power dynamic there. Maybe she's sleeping with him because, you know, he said sleep with me or you're fired. I don't think any of that is implied. No. But the weird thing about the antibodies attacking Korra is that they only attack Korra. Why don't they attack Grant or any of the other people who are outside the ship? It's not really explained perfectly, but... Antibodies are basically attracted to a specific marker. So there's an antibody that's specific for rubella and polio and coronavirus. And these are always swimming around your body, always looking for things. And so they would only be attracted to one thing. Now, I don't understand exactly what's going on here, but when these scissors fell and there was this shockwave, Cora, she falls into some kind of... Like hairs or or tissues. It looks like a big Venus flytrap that she sort of falls into. And whatever little hairs that she was exposed to there 
probably put something on her. And that's what the antibodies are attracted to. So that's what I think it is. That's a very good question about why some of them wouldn't have stuck to him at all. So what happens is the antibodies all start sticking to Raquel Welsh and she's suffocating because they're they're choking her and they bring her out and then they're like ripping all of these things off of her until a few minutes later, uh, everything just crystallizes and, and all these antibodies shatter. I guess in the pressurized atmosphere, they don't last very long. Um, I read about this scene. It's very interesting. You know, they bring Raquel Welsh back in and everyone's like ripping all this stuff off of her body and trying to save her life. She's suffocating. She's asphyxiating. She can't breathe. This thing is compressing her chest. But, you know, these guys are gentlemen to their credit. In the first take, nobody was was touching anywhere near her chest. They want to molest her. And so they were just grabbing it off her legs and her arms. And it's like... You know, if she's dying of choking, you're not going to be doing that. So the director was like, no, you have to be grabbing it off her chest. And apparently the second take, they all grab at her her chest. Because I guess they didn't agree. I guess they must have nodded. Ah, yes, okay, that makes sense, director. Okay, but they they should have decided who was going to do it. I was watching for that because I'd read that piece of trivia. And you can't really see them uh, grabbing at at her chest area. So I think there might be like one shot. I read that same thing too. And after the first take, they said that like all of the goo or whatever that was on her looked like a bikini because that was like the areas that no one was grabbing and it like looked weird. But then they choreographed it so everyone knew exactly which pieces they were going to take. I do love that during the tension of while they're in the ear, there's this back and forth between this general and this like colonel. They're just comedic. Like, while it's tension, the general who has, like, 20 spoons of sugar in his coffee, he runs out of sugar. Like, he pours the thing and it's completely empty. There's another little part randomly where he's about to crush an ant who's eating some of the sugar he spilled. But I guess he realizes kind of in a miniaturization thing. I shouldn't be doing this. And the other, the other colonel goes, once he spares the life of the ant, he goes, you know, you're going to become a Hindu. And it's not said in an insulting way. It's actually said kind of in a complimentary way. Oh, you're going to be one of those animal-loving people. Oh, good for you, General. But kind of in a way of like, you know, generals in the 60s are like in the middle of the Cold War. Nuke, nuke. I found them to be funny. I, I assume you didn't like them, Al, but I thought them to be funny. Stop telling me what I think. I'll tell you what I think. Tell me what you think, buddy. I thought they were fine. There's one part where the one guy who always has his coffee, he just like spills the coffee on his pants. He's like going to reach for something and then the coffee spills on his pants and he's like, oh no, my pants. I I didn't know if that was supposed to be funny because it's not. It's just weird. It's not part of any running gag or anything. I was just like, so what? He just spilled his coffee and he's mad about it? I guess it's like you're saying that he just needs his caffeine and his sugar. But I jotted that down. I'm like, what the hell is that about? But anyway, eventually these guys, they finally get to the brain and they are running low on time, but they're going to be able to do it. Duvall is like, I think I can do it. He fixed the laser, all these problems that they faced at every step of the way, they've got this far. But Dr. Michaels is like, no, we don't have time. We need to leave. And I don't know. I thought it was pretty clear pretty early on that Dr. Duvall was not the saboteur. It was Dr. Michaels because... The whole entire movie, he's saying, we need to leave. We need to get out of here. 
we're gonna be in the heart. Nope, we have to leave. Oh, we're gonna be in the lungs. Nope, we're out of oxygen. We have to leave. And everyone else is like, no, let's figure out a solution so we can save Dr. Bennis's life. And all Dr. Michaels wants to do is throw in the towel. It seems pretty clear, but for some reason, when Dr. Duvall and Cora leave the ship to go and attack the clot with the laser beam, Grant, who maybe suspects there's something up with Dr. Michaels, because at this point he trusts uh, Dr. Duvall, he's like, I'm going to leave, and Dr. Michaels, you stay here and don't sabotage anything. I mean it. You better not. I'm serious. Do not sabotage this very important mission and kill us all. Okay? But of course, that's exactly what happens as soon as Grant leaves the ship. Dr. Michaels goes after the pilot and then is going to like crash the ship into the brain and kill Bennis that way. I wasn't exactly sure what he was trying to do, but I think he was just trying to escape. He is obviously the saboteur, but I, I saw it as he was just trying to get out with his own life. Oh, okay. But then at this point, Dr. Duvall is able to use his laser beam to destroy the blood clot. Good for him. But then Grant sees what uh, Michaels is doing. He grabs the laser beam. He fires at the ship. The ship crashes. And I was thinking, is that smart? Because that's their way out. But then Grant goes in to try to rescue the pilot who was not killed by Dr. Michaels. He was just like conked on the head. And, And Grant even seems to go after Dr. Michaels to try to rescue him. I guess maybe so he can be arrested and face justice because he knows that he's the bad guy, but, you know, still is doing the right thing. No man left behind. But no, he's going to be left behind because a white blood cell attacks him and kills him in the ship. And destroys the entire ship. And uh, there is a major plot hole in the film, and that is the fact that the ship is left in the body here, along with the deceased Dr. Michaels. I was thinking that while I was watching that, when they're like, oh, we'll just leave the ship. I'm like, you can't leave the ship. It's going to grow to full size. There's some kind of later comic adaptation or something, and they add a little blurb about how the white blood cell destroying it does like render it inert, and now those molecules will not re Biggin, re-embiggin. <laughs> right. I was thinking about uh, the, the, the ship embiggening with that specific word from The Simpsons. Um, but yeah, I, w- I was thinking that. I'm like, no, no, no. There's a piece of metal that's the size of a cell now, but in a couple minutes, it's going to grow. They have to take it out. And also, like, I understand why the miniaturized people, Grant and Cora and, uh, and those guys, have to leave the ship. But the scientists outside the body are like, I know what they're going to do. They're going to go through the eye. They're going to go out through the tears because now they don't need the ship. And that is what they're doing. And this guy is right in assuming that. And he's able to take a little slide and pick them up from uh, Bennis's tear duct, which is great. But, like, shouldn't he also try to get the ship out? Because they have a homing beacon. They know where the ship is. And whether you're pretty confident that they're in that ship or not, just take it out. Be safe. Because it's going to embiggen, because they might be in it, like, just do both, you know? There's a whole team of doctors there. You know, I mean, there, there's a number of plot holes here. I mean, it, what happens here at the end is they were basically able to swim from the clot, uh, you know, the, the problem in the brain, to the optic nerve in the eyeball and basically crawl out of the body here. 
which thus, of course, leads to the idea, why didn't they just miniaturize him and place him in an eyedropper and just, you know, get my drops, and then they go right in there. Exactly. The, the answer, I mean, it is explained um, as basically, shut up, Al. The answer is, if they did that, it wouldn't be a fantastic voyage. Right. It would be like a fantastic, very short trip. Right. It would be a really neat procedure where everything goes right, and then it would just end. Exactly. Um, but the movie does end rather abruptly when they are brought out of Venice and brought to normal size. The people on the outside congratulate the people on the inside. And then the movie ends very, very abruptly. No one asks where Dr. Michaels is. No one's like, hey, there were five of you who went in there and now there's four of you. What happened? No, no, there, there were four of us. There, there were four of us. There- uh, let's, let's count off. One, two, three, four. See, we're all here, all counted for. Yeah, the the guy who looked like uh, the president from Escape from New York? Nope, never heard of him. Nope, sorry, don't know. That movie didn't come out for 20 years. Whatever. But because that is the end of the movie, I will ask you, James, Dr. James Brief, does this movie stand the test of time? One of the very early films that we had reviewed was the uh, Martin Short film, Inner Space. Mm -hmm. And that film is almost, you could say, a spiritual rebooting of this uh, movie. The plot is obviously very different, but, you know, the same basic premise of let's go into the body. They do use the words inner space in Fantastic Voyage a lot, where they're like, forget about outer space, we're going to inner space. I wonder if that's where they picked it up in the, uh, the inner space film. I would think so. Maybe. But, uh, you know, it's amazing that this film has not been remade because, uh, like I said earlier, everyone has seen this film if you were born before 1970. Everyone saw this film. It was just always on television. The story is almost obvious. Once you're able to make motion pictures, this is the kind of story someone's going to come up with. Apparently, this is one of those classic rights issues where so many production studios have been bought and sold and broken up that no one really knows who has the rights to it. So no one's ever going to make it just in case some obscure, you know, great-granddaughter of someone sues for the entire rights to it. So, so it's never going to be really be remade. That being said, I think that the first 20-25 minutes are really boring. I agree. And I'm guessing this is where we diverge a little bit. I think that this film is still quite fascinating. Um, I think the special effects are quite dated, but... But to their credit, they're not as dated as something like from 1991 that uses really early CGI and it's just, it's just distractingly bad. This is the stuff where, yeah, when they're miniaturized and you can see the scientist's head outside, you know you're looking at like a green screen or projection, but it's fine. It's Star Trek The Next Generation type uh, special effects. So, so, you know, it's 80s, 90s TV uh, special effects and that's what you get. And I still think the story is very interesting interesting. I think there's some stuff that's silly, like we talked about before, the guy in the lungs, it looks like he's dead. It's fine. It's amazing that nobody seems to die from any of the, you know, dangers, and only one guy dies from his own uh, evil. But um, I think overall, I think this story itself is just quite fascinating, and I think this film stands the test of time. Every single person I mentioned this to, my mom, my dad, you know what they all replied when I said, uh, have you ever seen Fantastic Voyage? You know what they replied? What? Oh, that's the Raquel Welsh film. 
She is not the star of this film right. by far. So I just want to say that too. That that's that's interesting to stand the test of time. Raquel Welsh has stood the test of time, and Donald Pleasance. I, I recognize him more from other films, but the other leading uh, leading actors, at least to to our generation, did not stand up. So Raquel Welsh, yes, and and the other guys, no. But the movie, yes. But what do you think of the movie? Al? Did it stand the test of time? Because you mentioned uh, the actors, I will say that I I looked up Stephen Boyd, the actor who plays Grant, the dashingly handsome leading man. He died at age 45. He had a massive heart attack while playing golf, which is horrible and tragic. And also like, really? A massive heart attack playing golf? Like if you said he had a massive heart attack, you know, rock climbing or, or boxing or something, you'd believe it more. But... And, you know, listen, you can have a massive heart attack walking down the street or tying your shoes, right? But um, that just kind of stuck out at me. If you have a, a spontaneous heart attack at 45, you're A, incredibly unlucky, or B, you've had some congenital issues. Maybe he had a bad heart his whole life. But it is weird that you would just have a heart attack at, uh, at, at age 45 on a golf course. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but I'm not a cardiologist, so I don't know. Um. I agree with you that the first 25 minutes of the movie are very, very boring, but so is the rest of the movie. This whole movie is very, very, very boring. And I think it's apt that you compare it to Star Trek because of the special effects and the wibble wobble and everything. I was certainly getting flashes of the Star Trek movies that you forced me to watch in September of last year. It's like those movies where... Everything that happens happens so hurry up slow come on Lee oh I mean it, it's painful it's really really painful to watch it's especially bad in the beginning part before they get mini tries when they're going around this stupid facility on the golf cart for 47 minutes when they're being miniaturized for an hour and a half just shrink already get them in the stupid body it's like there are four phases why do i need to watch 28 minutes of four phases get them in the stupid body already do you realize you have described three hours of film that happened before they go in the in the body in an hour and a half film yes because it feels that long it's just painful and then you get into the body and I'm like finally you know what it really looks like once they get into the body it looks like a bad exhibit at a children's museum as a father i have been to many of these kids museums with my children where they show you and inside the body there are red blood cells and white blood cells and blah 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 blah, blah. and it's just like a crappy computer animation but the crappy computer animations that I've seen at museums look a billion times better than this. And of course they do. Of course I'm jaded. Special effects have revolutionized in the, the years since this movie came out. It's not fair for me to make fun of the special effects in this movie. Go, but go ahead, do it. But I will, because <laughs> that's this podcast. The podcast is the test of time. And when you watch this movie, it looks horribly horribly dated it looks like a garbage screensaver like it looks like a discount screensaver like not even the good one with like the flying toaster on the cover after dark 
Sure, that was a good one. That was the expensive one. It looks like the knockoff version of After Dark. Also, not only do the special effects look dated, but all of the technology looks really, really dated. Outside of Venice, they have like these tiny little satellite dishes that go around his head. There's like an array of them and they all kind of like go beep. And they like kind of twist and turn all around his head. So that way they can track the ship. It's just laughable. The computers inside the machine are ridiculous. Like they're using transparencies and like these really crude illustrations of like the heart and things. They look like kids drawings and like, oh, we will go from the left aorta into the right aorta. And it's like, isn't it more complicated than just moving from like this side to that side? like a maze on like a placemat at a friendlies or something. It's just laughable. Also, all of the the science stuff and like the medical explanation stuff, it really feels like a lecture. It's like, you know, Grant isn't a doctor. And he's like, well, what is that there? Lymph nodes? I thought there was just the blood. Well, no, Grant. Actually, there is the lymphatic system in addition to the circulatory system. Let me explain for 837 minutes what the lymphatic system is. It just, it just drags on. I felt like I was being lectured to. I didn't enjoy this movie. I think it is horrifically dated. And no, it does not stand the test of time. One to one. Right. I am correct. You are incorrect, as will always be the case uh, throughout this year when we disagree and throughout all of our episodes when we disagree. You are wrong. Sorry. Um. Well, just to be fair... Um, It is a certified fresh 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. Great. Maybe that's all your old uh, boomer friends who are like, I remember movies. I thought it was great. Raquel Welsh. Oh, she was a looker back in my day. So David Kerr from the Chicago Reader on June 4th, 2007 says, quote, The special effects uh, extravaganza from 1966 has proved surprisingly enduring despite a technically uh, quality crude by contemporary standards. uh, Crude by contemporary standards. So despite, I didn't say the special effects are groundbreaking. I'm saying that the movie still works despite being crude by today's standards. When I was watching this movie, I was thinking, We should have planned it better. We should have watched this movie and Inner Space and Osmosis Jones together. Ooh. Yeah, I do want to do Osmosis Jones at some point. And that's not exactly the same thing because that's not about people being miniaturized in a body. That's about like actual white blood cells and the drug inside the person. It's still the human body and it's still you go inside the body. It's still a a concept that... It's just fascinating. And there, I don't know if there still is that uh, ride at Disney World, Body Tours. Oh, no, no, no. That's been shut down long ago. That was awesome. I remembered it was basically like a ship you were miniaturized. And it was like a little thing. Oh, we're just going to today have a little trip and we're going to look at a splinter inside. But then something goes wrong and you get sucked into the bloodstream. Oh, no. And then what happens? You have to very, 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 very slowly go through the heart and it takes you four hours? No, actually, there's a lot of people waiting for you. So it goes pretty quickly. Oh. Oh, okay. Well, that sounds more exciting than this crappy movie. So, you made me watch a garbage movie to start 2022. Thanks for that, jerk. But maybe we'll have better luck with another movie that you pick next week. I'm already suspicious. It's called Prime. I've never heard of it. It's not about math. Um, and it's not on Amazon Prime. 
<laughs> That's true. It's on HBO Max. Right. So we'll talk about that. I hope it has less wibble wobbles than uh, Fantastic Voyage. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> in the meantime, we want to hear from you, as always, at Test of Time Pod, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Write to us on all three. How about that? That'll blow our minds. You can also send us an email. I love reading emails from listeners. Those are the best. We are the Test of Time Podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget that the the Test of Time Podcast at gmail.com. MySpace.com slash test of time. I've got bad news for you. MySpace has aged as well as Fantastic Voyage. <laughs> Good one, Al. But I disagree. Oh, you think that MySpace is still relevant? No! (laughs) Oh, you love MySpace. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Bye.